0: Jarrow for that reading. God bless you. Dear friends, let's bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, we pray that through the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, your word and your word alone would go forth and that it would not return empty. We pray, Lord, that you would use the power of the Holy Spirit to inspire us and remind us of Christ's love for us. And through this, Lord, we would come more and more to be like you. May the words of our, my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts, O oh Lord, be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As I begin, I'm going to begin by first asking a very simple diagnostic question, uh, which I'd like you to just take 10 seconds to think about. And the question is, when you think of family, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Okay, turn to the person next to you, tell them what is that thing that you thought about. Whilst you all are discussing this, I'm going to ask uh, Vanessa to pull up a video clip that comes all the way from Australia about children when they talk about family. Now I don't know how many of you, when I asked you to think about family, and you had that ten seconds, and then you turn to the person next to you and says, "When I think about family, I think of you." Oh, Noah. <laughs> Today's passage, in particular, uh, the the second half or the the middle part of Romans chapter eight, is one of these most astounding and staggering statements about this family that we belong to. Not just a biological family, but a family of God. Uh, It happens to be Trinity Sunday. Uh, Let me just get out my little clicker, if I can find it. And today is supposed to be Trinity Sunday. Uh, not Penang Trinity Sunday, that's our anniversary, but the Holy Trinity Sunday. And uh, in some churches elsewhere in the world, we'd spend a a staggering one-plus hour talking about the Trinity and how complicated it is. Uh, That's really not my intention, but I do want to put up this picture here in case some people are not particularly familiar. This in a diagram, uh, summarily, represents a a bit of a mystery of what the trinity is all about god the father god the son god the holy spirit are co-equal co-eternal co-equal co-eternal means they are uh, they are in a way equal to each other and eternal from the beginning therefore We do not hold to a theology where uh, God the Father came first and then after that He changed His identity to God the Son and then now He is with us as God the Holy Spirit. Uh, No, we say that God was in existence at the beginning uh, where God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit is given to us at that point. The Son is not the Father and the Father is not the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is not the Son but they are in the, each other okay and each of them have a role to glorify one another and this is in a way the great mystery of it uh, you will have some friends or some atheists who will come to you and say how can you have three gods and that in a way is a uh, philosophically wrong statement as far as understanding christian faith is concerned we have One God, three persons. One being, one God, and three persons within that. But then you might ask, we don't have anything uh, where you have one person, uh, one being, one human being having three persons in them. And that is true. That's why He's God and we are not. (laughs) A friend once described it and said that it is almost like trying to describe a three-dimensional cube in a two-dimensional world. And so one of the reasons we're unable to imagine what it is like to have a being with three persons with them who are co-equal, co-eternal, and in relationship with each other right from the beginning is almost impossible uh, in terms of human terms. But it does give us uh, something very core at the root of our understanding of the Trinity, which is that Right from the beginning of time, even before all things were, God was in a relationship within Himself. He is a relational God, and He is, as we say, a God of love. Love exists in the form of a relationship. If you are one, there is no need to love other than a very separate love. And so at the root of our understanding of our faith we do believe that this relationship exists. Now, these are doctrinal matters that are sometimes best left to a Bible study class or maybe a seminary and you do a PhD in it. Uh, But I do just want to put that in this thought and to tell you that one of the most amazing things for us to now understand is that we are being called to be a part of this relationship a part of this particular family. And as much as we have family on this earth, biological or relational to each other, we now have this spiritual relationship of the family. Now, I'd like to ask this thought first, and uh, if, you, if you'd like to, I've also got the sermon outline on the, in the bulletin at the back uh, in the middle. On the right-hand side so for those of you uh, who need to use a pen and to write uh, go ahead and one of the first observations we want to make of this text beginning on verse 12 is it says that those who are in Christ Jesus and gain life through the Spirit have an obligation to live according to the Spirit it says so in verses 12 and 13 12 and 13 says therefore brothers and sisters we have an obligation But it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now, this initial statement, therefore, is actually a continuation of an argument that comes from Romans chapter 1, sorry, Romans chapter 8, verse 1 to verse 8. And in there, Paul talks about this Spirit that gives us new life. And through this new life, basically causes us to enter into a new relationship with God. He begins his seminal chapter eight, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. And so in a way, this spirit uh, gives us life, creates a new relationship in the spiritual Godhead with us, human beings, but it places an obligation. Now, we might not understand this, but as I go and explain a little uh, a little later on in terms of understanding the context of uh, this chapter in Romans, we'll begin to understand why is there an obligation placed. But I'd also like you to think about your family. If you think about your family, uh, Being part of the family places certain obligations unto you, obligations that make you distinct and unique to your family, Uh, things which you do that identify you and say that this is who I am. And some of you may have traditions. Uh, You might say, you know, every year part of our family tradition is that at Christmas Day we gather together, no matter where you are in the world, we'll come back or you may have a particular tradition on a, a particular anniversary, people gather. So what are these ties? Uh, but what, more, more importantly, now that you are part of a new family, what is this obligation? And Paul points out here that this obligation as being people in this new family uh, causes you to not live according to the old ways of the flesh, but to live according to the Spirit. And if you live according to the Spirit, uh, you would put to death the misdeeds of the body uh, in your lives. Uh, Now, what this essentially represents in terms of our Methodist tradition is uh, extreme holiness, if you want to call it that, or a form of extreme righteousness uh, that compels you to live a life of holiness. There's something else that we need to consider here because paul immediately writes about four things that happen when the holy spirit begins to live within us it does a number of things uh, uh, this other observation is that the god's people are designated as children or sons through the work of the holy spirit there is a causative link that he does here And you find that in verse 13 and 14. It says here, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. Old family. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And if you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you are being led by the Spirit. Verse 14. It's a a causative statement. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. In other words, there is... A causative factor here it says that if you live by the spirit and are therefore led by the spirit of god you are children of god now let me unpack that as best as i can one of the critical identifiers of your inheritance or your identity as a follower of jesus is the presence of the Holy Spirit in you. That is a seal and a guarantee that you are of Christ. In fact, if you read Romans chapter 8, verse 1 to 8, you will find there that if the Spirit is not in you, then you are still in your deadness. So, in essence, this presence of the Holy Spirit is critical for every Christian who says, I am a follower of Jesus. Without the Spirit, you really can't call yourself a Christ follower. But it is not just that, it is also a fact that it is to have the Holy Spirit and to be led by the Spirit. Now, there is There is a tension here because if you look at verse 13 and verse 14, on the one hand, verse verse 13 says, "If if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. The responsibility and the obligation is yours. But verse 14 says, for those who are led by the Spirit, the Spirit leads you, you then become the children of God. And so within chapter 8 is a tension that occurs. Who exactly determines my my membership in this family? If you were uh, people in the strict Calvinist tradition, you would go on the predestination mode and say, God and God alone determines my salvation. If you were an Armenian and you believed in absolute free will, you would point out and say, yes, but... I'm responsible for my sin. And for me to be responsible for my sin and to be responsible for believing in Jesus requires me to have some element of free will. Again, I don't want to go into another lecture about predestination and free will. It's just not possible within a a sermon. But I would like to point out to you that there exists a tension and the Methodist Church affirms both positions. That God is sovereign and determines that He alone saves. But we are nonetheless responsible and must respond in the will that is given to us to God. And so we have this situation. We, through the Spirit, put to death the misdeeds of the body. But at the same time, we are led by the Spirit of God. That's the tension. Now, to me, that's probably the best solution for me because it means I am in a partnership with God. I am equally yoked to Christ. He, on the one hand, is pulling me along, but I am working with Him. What then does this mean to us? How do we identify the work of the Holy Spirit in us And Paul gives us uh, four examples of where we see this. Firstly, uh, he points out that the Spirit leads us into holiness. Again, verse 13 and 14 confirms this. If you have the Holy Spirit working within you, something happens to transform you that you begin to be compelled. Uh, It's it's a very difficult uh, word to try and get across you are compelled, you are driven, you you seem to want to do what is right and holy. That is one of the distinctives of a person who is truly a follower of Christ Jesus. You begin to see an inner transformation in the person that can only be attributed to something that has happened deep within them. I recall sharing uh, sharing this before, but... It's worth mentioning it again. I was once teaching a group of uh, Orang Asli, Indigenous uh, pastors, and one of them came alongside to me and said, Pastor, uh, in the local uh, language saying, Pastor, uh, we've been observing something happening in our villages. Our, our youths and our young adults, uh, they've been singing songs, and they've been basically uh, doing this overnight for a few nights. And initially, I thought that they were basically just uh, jamming and having a fun time and getting drunk. And his answer was, no, no, no. Uh, They are in the community hall, which acts as their church, and they have been praising and worshipping God night after night, through the night. It wasn't a one-hour service. It just kept on going. And so I asked this pastor friend of mine, you will know them by their fruit. So I asked them, what is the fruit? What has happened? And his answer to me was, not only are they spending a lot of time in prayer and worship to God, they have just changed. They now come and they ask us, what can I do for the kampung, the village? what can i do for others how can i help these were kids who in the past would just disappear into the forest and just spend their time hanging out there until they got hungry and came back which sometimes would take a few days because they're quite they're quite good at living in the forest on their own but now they were coming and something had absolutely changed for our dear friends who have actually gone through Alpha before and they've seen some of the videos and the testimonies of hardened criminals and convicts, you know, murderers, spousal abusers, people who have been abusing others and who have themselves been abused, one of the most radical things that has occurred is how they have utterly changed as a result of this compulsion this drivenness within them that wants them to change into holy lives. So, my dear brothers, one of the things that may occur to you about the witness of the Holy Spirit is not necessarily this silent voice that whispers in your ear and you say, ah, that's God. It may not be this emotional, heartwarming experience that John Wesley had, or some people say, oh, I feel gone and I feel a word coming to me. Some of it is just this plain fact that there is a spirit working within you that is changing you from what you were before. It is putting to death the misdeeds of the body. It is a call to radical holiness uh, that you see as a witness of the spirit. And to be honest, that's one of the best witnesses there is. I I had a friend, uh, we knew him when he was 16 years old and he went to the boys' brigade and he said uh, to one of the officers, I would like to become a Christian. And he came from a strict Taoist slash Buddhist slash Chinese family. He says, I would like to be a Christian, eldest in the family. And he says, please go home, talk to your parents and ask them whether you have permission because you're still below the age. He went home, he asked his mom and his dad and his dad said, absolutely not. You are the eldest in the family, you are the son and you have to continue the traditions that we are doing in order to make the offerings for me when we are no longer here. Your grandmother will be heartbroken. And so broken hearted, he comes to us and he says, you know, what do I do? And we said, do you believe? And he says, yes, I do. Then live out the life and ask your parents every month. Within a year, he said, my parents now say I can do this. And at the age of 18, he was baptized. At the age of 19, his whole family came to faith. And we asked the parents, what happened? And he said, We saw a change in him. Before that, he was aimless, agitated, frustrated, not knowing where to go, what to do. But something changed. Maybe it's the boys' brigade, but no, we think it was more than that. And every month he kept asking, Can I? Can I become a Christian? And eventually we said, okay, you go. But each and every day we saw that change. The witness that is given through them through how he was putting to death the misdeeds in his body was a witness of God working in him and they knew something mysterious was happening and they wanted it. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. What is the second witness that is provided to us by the Holy Spirit? And this is that the Spirit replaces fear with freedom. Let me just read verse 15. Verse 15a says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship. Now, although Paul is talking in this term, you must remember that Paul is a uh, is a scholar of the Jewish pattern. And when he's referring to this, he is reminding them of the time when they were being taken out through the exodus from Egypt as slaves. They were slaves who were fearful of their masters, slaves who had no right to live that those over them had the ability to basically determine life and death for them, a spirit of fear. And through the exodus, God was now claiming them as His own children, as their sons. He was reminding them of that, but then saying, this is the final realisation of what it is, that through this new life, you are being set free from fear into freedom. Fear from what? Slavery to maybe religious traditions, Uh, fossilized practices that manage the outside of who we are, but have no ability to change what is within us. We are nice and good on the outside, but in our hearts we're still condemning people and gossiping about them. Sin management. We're managing the outside, but it's not deep within the heart. What happens when a Christian is truly transformed in the heart, he no longer acts out of fear of other people's opinion or legalism. He acts out of freedom because the freedom causes his heart to act in a way that is natural. When jesus speaks in the beatitudes you know even if one man slaps you on one cheek and turn the other cheek he wasn't saying a new rule for you to follow which the pharisees and sadducees might just as well copy it down and says okay new rule if someone slaps you turn the other cheek and slap you know let them slap the other one okay i've complied with that but if within doing all those rules you still feel venomous hate for this person and you're just doing this because the law says so, then you are a prisoner to that law. But if, on the other hand, the Spirit of God has now come into you and the Kingdom of God is within you, and one of the illustrations of what that is like is that when a person, an enemy, does something hateful to you, you still have the ability to turn the other cheek and forgive. That is freedom because it's not bound by the law, but it is determined and compelled by the Spirit. We see huge examples of this, just even in Surabaya recently. Families have come out from those churches that have been bombed, where people have been killed, and their answer is, we will forgive them. We pray for them, that they would come out of this cycle of violence, And if this is not the only case, this is, in a way, the blueprint pattern of every group of people who call themselves Christian, that in spite of the vicious persecution, people still turn around and say, we forgive you and we are praying for you. Not because Jesus commanded it alone, but something in their spirit says, You are made in the image of God and we love you and we want what is good for you and what is needed for you is maybe forgiveness. Are you still trapped in this fear, sin management, appearance management, and are not yet at the point where you're truly free to act according to how it works? Dallas Willard had this particular illustration. Uh, It was one which I found particularly useful. People talk about uh, righteousness and and, uh, legalism. Uh, For example, they say, you cannot do this, you cannot do this, and you cannot do this, in order to basically say what you cannot do. It is as much as saying to a person, you are going to head towards Paris make sure you don't stop in singapore and thailand and bangkok because that's not your destination legalism is a little bit like that make sure you don't go to singapore (laughs) make sure you don't go to bangkok or all these other places but freedom comes when it says i know i'm headed towards that final destination And if I get to that destination, you don't need to tell me about all these other places that I don't need to go. It will get me there. It is a transformation from within. That's the second witness. Some of my older friends, uh, particularly those who I've uh, had an opportunity to speak to, tell me that one of the most distinctive things that have occurred for them in their faith walk is that they are no longer afraid. No longer afraid of death no longer afraid of uh, sickness maybe a little bit afraid of pain because it goes on for a long time but quite often they say i'm just waiting for the day when the lord takes me quite importantly a few friends of mine whom we we met up recently they were formerly strong taoist uh, buddhist people and i said just in in a discussion what's changed for you as a christian And he said, we used to be very afraid of all these spirits, all these uh, superstitious, uh, supernatural spirits. Now, we are no longer afraid of them. I said, why? He says, because Jesus is with us. Every time I sing a hymn, every time I sing a song, Jesus loves me, this I know, very simple song. That's what they sing to themselves. They remind themselves that the Spirit of God is with them and there is nothing to fear. This is the second witness. When you begin to look at life, it is not so much an emotive feeling, but it is a sense and an assurance there is nothing to fear for Christ is with us and His power is with us. A third witness that occurs is that the Spirit prompts us to call God Father. And uh, I have to explain this word. Uh, the, the actual word is Abba. Uh, so it's a word written in the Greek text, which is an Aramaic word, Abba. Uh, in Malaysia, the, our, our cousins uh, call their father Abba, which is the same word, Abba. It is a term of endearment, but a term of deep respect, a term of uh, close relationship. And Jesus is one of the only people who tells His disciples, followers, and when you pray, say, Abba in the heavenlies. Father, Papa, Daddy. It is a term of closeness. And so one of the things that the Spirit reminds us is this deep relationship. It is no longer a formal, distant, uh, you know, legalistic, you are father, legal, biological maybe. But it is a father in a close relationship. And increasingly, we have come to realize uh, both in Singapore, in Malaysia, in uh, Thailand, in some of our discussions at the leadership level, that many of our people in the society are facing an absent father issue. Absent fathers. Uh, one of my friends in Malaysian care who does the prison ministries was telling me if you go to the prisons, close to 90 uh, 95% of the prison population are men and if you speak to these men they will tell you that their fathers were absent in their lives i I can't explain any more than that and one of the root causes of many of the issues in counseling as chaplain for schools when we talk about this is absent fathers But here, the Spirit prompts us to call God our Father in Heaven, our spiritual Father, one who will not abandon or forsake us. It's quite interesting when I've spoken to some people uh, that in spite of the relationship of the Trinity, many feel closer to Jesus than they are to God the Father. And it might be due to a family background issue. And I've also met some who says, I know God the Father, but I have never really had this relationship with Jesus as my brother. And we feel you're missing out on a very big area of this family that we're in. But what would happen to you and to your children and your children's children if we began to tell them I am just your temporary father. I'm here for a period of three score and ten years, after which my Father in Heaven who has the ultimate job is still watching over you. And there will be times when I cannot see you, but God alone can see you. One of the biggest struggles I went uh, through when I was coming into the pastoral ministry was wrestling with this issue about, Lord, I don't mind going through the hardships, but what about my family? They didn't bargain for this. My children had no say about this. They were, you know, really small. My wife can probably argue with me about, why are you going into ministry? (laughs) But my children is like, they had no say. And the only thing that came back to me was was God telling me, they are nowhere safer but in my hands. And so unless you are willing to surrender them into my hands, whatever else you do is just human hands. And so I pray for the day as much as I call God the Father, my Father. I pray for the day when my children themselves will come to fully realize the heavenly father is a real father not geographically separated but a father of the kingdom of god who is here and present at our time of need what is the fourth witness that the holy spirit gives to us sorry before i go into that (laughs) these two verses verse 15 and 16 uh, Are quite strong in telling us uh, that this uh, witness that the Spirit gives to us is one, that we have this relationship with God the Father, but two, that we are children of God. You know, if there's anything that can be taken from you, your wealth, your wife, your children, your family, this is one thing that cannot be taken away from you unless you revoke it and you push it away. Uh, We call that apostasy. Uh, When you willfully reject and deny God and actively work against this. So people can torture you, they can humiliate you, they can take everything away from you. But one of the things that is crucial to your identity as a Christ follower is that you are a child of God. You are His children. Nothing can take that away from you unless you surrender it yourselves. It is the one mark of our distinctive and our spiritual inheritance that we are children of God. And so the fourth one, the Spirit is the first fruit of our heavenly inheritance. And it says so in verse 17 and verse 23. We are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, In order that we may also be glorified with Him, there is a condition in this. We are His children, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Now, many of us who come from an immediate gratification culture or situations where we do not like suffering tend to think, Ayo, this is terrible, we have to suffer. But bear in mind that the parables that Jesus gave to us, for example, the parable of the precious pearl or the parable of the treasure found in the field, always depict that the person sells everything he has joyfully in order that he might own this precious thing. It is a suffering to give away something that you have worked all your life for but it is a joy to know that what you have gained is far greater. I believe, deep down, that most mothers know what it means to have to suffer in order to bring their children into this world. Paul describes it in those terms that this world that we are inheriting is going through the pains of childbirth. It is painful at its time, but when the child is born, when the world is finally realised what it is, joy overwhelms us. Joy overwhelms us at the gift of this new life that has come into us. If we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, it poses to you this particular question. Do you recognize and realize your identity as children of God? Do you recognize the inheritance that is yours, that is the hope of the inheritance? My next diagnostic question is to ask you, do you realize what exactly you are inheriting? Now, I've asked people and some people say, "I'm inheriting um, heaven. <laughs> I'm inheriting the kingdom that is prepared for me. But if you carefully read the text, it is inheriting God. It is inheriting God himself. and the Holy Spirit is the first fruit of that heavenly inheritance, because the Holy Spirit is God he is the first fruit of which we inherit and then we begin to realize what it means when the psalmist says for he is my portion forever and ever who is this portion God himself we are no longer inheriting the created but we are inheriting the creator what greater thing could you have as yours And so those words when we say to a person deep in our hearts and he says, for I am yours and you are mine and we are now one. That is the depth of this relationship in this new family that we're called into. Let me bring things to a close. John Stott summarized this particular passage in this particular sentence. He says, The witness of Christ calls us to a radical holiness, a fearless freedom, a filial prayerfulness, and the hope of glory that are four characteristics of the children of God who are indwelt and led by the Spirit of God. Might I point out, that John Stott in all his reading of the text said, in most instances in the biblical evidence that we have, this relationship of the Father comes most closely during our times of prayer. It is when we are locked up in a closet and shut off to the whole world in our moments of prayer that the Spirit comes upon us and convicts us that He is my Father. And this overwhelming sense of love comes My brothers and sisters, when was the last time when you just carved out time and just sat alone somewhere, your favorite spot maybe, and just talked with God and asked Him, Lord, do you love me? And waited for an answer. You might be surprised at the answer that you get. It would utterly overwhelm you. But only if you allow Him to speak to you. So will you spend moments of filial prayerfulness in the weeks to come my great desire for our church is that our prayer meetings overflow with people seeking god wanting to have this inner transformation let me conclude with this statement all human beings are god's offspring by creation everyone whether you believe in god or otherwise but we become his reconciled children only by adoption or new birth. Just as it is that only those who are indwelt by the Spirit belong to Christ, so it is only those who are led by the Spirit who are the adopted sons and daughters of God. Let me make this one point. Roman adoption, in the context of what Paul is talking about is very different from how we understand adoption in the current world in the period before uh, Jesus came the first Roman Emperor uh, Julius Caesar adopted Augustus Octavius into his family in order to determine that the succession would happen naturally without conflict it was very common during that time for adoption to occur in order for a ruling uh, family to say, you are now part of my family. But when this adoption occurred, it basically cancelled all previous debts owing by this person as a result of the previous relationship. And it guaranteed the inheritance to this adopted son you could no longer cancel his right to being an heir. Now, this was quite serious because even in the Roman times, I may have three or four biological children, but if I adopt a child from another family into mine, that adopted child becomes my legal heir and you cannot disown him from it. Why? Because Caesar or the emperor, has specifically chosen him to be the successor. And so we too are in that position. God has chosen you to be a member of his family, and nothing can take this right away, and you inherit God in this process. Now you might be thinking there, so what do I do about this? Uh, What's in it, you know? So I know the Holy Spirit is supposed to be in me. How do I go about doing this? Have you ever thought that in spite of many years of actually attending Bible studies and events in our church, somehow change doesn't happen? It's almost as if we're managing our outside behaviour and appearances, but nothing has happened in our hearts. What would happen if you were suddenly convicted by the Spirit that you are a child of God, what would happen if the same thing that happened to Jesus happens to you? Because Jesus, at the start of His ministry, when He was being baptized, was told by God, you are my Son, and I am well pleased with you. He didn't start the other way around, you know. It wasn't as if Jesus had done all these wonderful miracles and earned his way into the family. Then God says to him, because you've done all these things, you are my son. No, it began with this grace that God gave to him to say, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. How does this change your mindset in being a family of God? When you are called, a child of god in whom god is well pleased and the inheritance of the kingdom the inheritance god himself is your portion forever and ever i pray it sets you free i pray it takes away your fear and leaves you into freedom and i pray that it brings you closer in this relationship with god that you can call him papa daddy abba And I pray that you come to him in filial prayerfulness. Let us bow our heads.